Welcome to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. It is 4 o'clock straight up on AM 560 WFIL, WFIL.com. We have such a jam-packed show. We are just scooting right by the news and into things. Joe Harnett, the hardest-working producer in Philadelphia radio between 4 o'clock today, expanding his workload by two minutes to 4.50, has his helmet on, he has his chin strap on, and his goggles. You are set, are you not, Joe? Absolutely set and ready for this fine broadcast. I am more than set for Timmy. <laughs> we have Michael Carr going to join us. He's at the Ocean City Tabernacle this weekend, part of WFIL's summer speaker series and concert series. We also have Gary G. Cobb, longtime Philadelphia sportscaster, uh, going to be joining us. And we're going to bat lead off. You know, so you, sometimes you put your, your cleanup hitter at the top of the batting or you just want to smack the ball and get, get off to a running start. That's what we're doing today. There's a brand-new film out called Brian Banks, and it's out in theaters nationwide today. And uh, someone who, who you'll know from many different sources, including a, as co-host of The View, our first guest today, Sherry Shepard, joining our program. How are you doing, Sherry? I'm great, Tim. How are you? Wonderful. Thanks for taking a little time to talk today. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Sure thing. The uh, the new film, Brian Banks, uh, is releasing today nationwide, and we want to definitely talk about that and if we have a chance to chat about some of the other things you've been involved in, too. Uh, but if okay. you – if yeah, so if you would, start just for, – for those who aren't familiar with the story, just if you could share a little bit about the uh, Brian Banks film because it's based on a true story, so it has that extra punch to it. It's not just an idea. It is. Brian Banks is based on the true story of Brian Banks, who at 16 years old uh, was rated number 11 nationally as a defensive linebacker. He was recruited by Pete Carroll to play at USC. But at 16, he was accused of a crime by a fellow student that he didn't commit. And at 16, he was arrested, and he was incarcerated for six and a half years. He did five and a half years in prison. And when he got out, it was his dreams of playing pro football were dashed. He couldn't get a job because he had the label of a pedophile and a rapist. And he was essentially still in prison because nobody would hire him. When the accuser uh, contacted him years later, and she admitted on tape that she had lied. So what do you do when, when everything you've ever dreamed of has been snatched away from you, when your life has been changed? And this is a story of redemption, of forgiveness, of letting go, of moving on, and getting your smile back, much, which was Brian Banks. <laughs> yeah, much, 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 I'm sure, easier said than done, even to see those things unfold one one little piece at a time. You summed it up very well there, but obviously that took place over years, and to, to wonder if it's ever going to get better even. What, what did you, or how did you learn of the Brian Banks story? Was it uh, before you came to the film or as you were made aware of the film being made and then you got to know more about the whole story? My agent made me aware of the film, that it was being made, and he got me a script, and I read it. And I connected so much. I played Brian Banks' mother, Leomi. Yeah. I connected so much to her story of being a mother who fights for your child. This is a woman who drove three and a half hours to the prison and back the entire time her son was incarcerated. She wrote him a letter a week. She was an elementary school teacher who mortgaged her home and sold her car so that he could have an attorney. I mean, she just fought for her son to the very end, no matter what anybody said. She believed in his innocence. And as a mother who has to advocate for my child, I, it, I just connected. 
mm-hmm. and begged to get the audition to play her. <laughs> We're chatting with uh, Sherry Shepard. She is known for many you know, works over the years, including co-host of The View. Uh, and, and been a ton of TV shows and specials and all that. But now we're focused on your role in this movie, Brian Banks, which comes out today. And uh, I was going to ask you about that because you've done so many different roles over the years that, uh, you know, what is it like to have to prepare for a role and going from where you are right now, like Sherry Shepard, the real, you know, real life person, to put on, on, on a character? So in this case, you were Leomi as Brian, Brian's mother. Was that something that came fairly quickly to you or did you still have to get the hang of it and, how do I want this character to play out in, you know, in the film? No, it didn't come quickly to me at all because, number one, I'm a comedic actress yeah. and I'm a stand-up comic, so you know me to be making you laugh. Yes. So this was completely out of my comfort zone. I spoke to Leomi for two or three hours just about how she felt about her son and when he got incarcerated. Mm. And as a parent, if you have children, you think, wow, if something like this happened to my child, I would be a roaring lion. You wouldn't be able to put me down. <laughs> But looking at Leomi, she's a very shy woman. Like I said, she's an elementary school teacher. She's soft-spoken. And I had to learn to play that quiet type of strength as opposed to a big roaring lion. Hmm. And that was, that was, you know, stepping out of my comfort zone, playing somebody who's very much alive and trying to honor her presence in this film. Thankfully, we had Tom Shadyak, the director, he is used to working with stand-up comics because he wrote the movie Nutty Professor, right. and he has directed Eddie Murphy in quite a few films, and he has directed Jim Carrey in a few films, Bruce Almighty, and so on and so on. Yeah. And he likes working with stand-up, so he was able to help me take the comedy, put it on the shelf with the fine china, and then bring up the pain. Because stand-up comics, our materials are from a painful place, and we make it funny. So he was able to pull up that part in order to birth this character. Yeah, Sherry Shepard, our guest on the Tim DeMoss Show, AM560, WFIL, WFIL.com. Did it take a while to develop the character and get it to where you wanted her to be? It took took a minute. It helped that Brian Banks was always on set, and so whatever scene I was doing, he would come and talk to me about what he was going through Hmm. and how he felt about his mom. And then, I, and then in talking to, I would call Leomi and say, we're about to do this scene. What, what was in your mind? What was happening? And she would talk to me, and then i kind of mesh it all together. And the one thing that I remember about Leomi is even when she smiled, there was a blanket of sadness that had settled on her because she couldn't shield her son from the horrific experiences that he went through, and she couldn't protect him. So I always knew that I had to keep the sadness about me, even when I was trying to motivate um, my son, who was played by Aldous Hodge. So it was all of that. And looking at Aldous Hodge, the star, his mother was always on the set and watching their love for each other. So I just took in a lot of uh, things from people. Very interesting. Good stuff. Sherry Shepard, our guest on the Tim DeMoss Show today, AM560, WFIL, WFIL.com. You may know her from many different walks of life, including uh, her years as co-host of The View. She's also co-star in this new film, Brian Banks, which is in theaters nationwide today. What uh, What are among your hopes for folks you know, after they watch the film and, and they come away? What would you like them to be considering and thinking about? Yeah, I hope the film sheds light on the unfairness of the judicial system, how you can get caught and trapped in something and it just overtakes you. Because this was a young man, Brian Banks, who at 16 years old, like I said, was arrested and incarcerated. And it, the system failed him from the parole, the police to the parole officer to the judge to the DA because they didn't do their due diligence. Nobody investigated. 
The accuser's story changed multiple times, no DNA evidence, and yet and still he was tried as an adult and convicted. And um, I hope that it shines a spotlight on the judicial system and letting folks know that we have to change laws. I, for one, don't believe a child should be tried as an adult. And we have to change laws and figure out who we're voting in as a DA or a judge. And, um, you know, I really, really hope that people get involved with the California Innocence Project because they were the organization that helped exonerate Brian Banks. And they've exonerated 30 people who were falsely accused. So an organization like this is very much needed. Jerry Shepard, our guest, longtime co-host of The View, also co-star in this new movie, Brian Banks. Quick break. We'll continue our chat with Sherry. Also, Gary G. Cobb, Michael Carr going to join us. And we have some giveaways to do in our pun segment. We'll shoehorn in at the end. It's happening today. The Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560, WFIL, WFIL.com. It's the Tim DeMoss Show podcast, available at WFIL.com. Thanks for listening. AM 560, WFIL, WFIL.com. Tim DeMoss Show continuing along in theaters starting today. Brian Banks, a brand new film, co-starring Sherry Shepard. Sherry has been co-host of The View for many years and done a lot of other things you may know her from. Uh, but as far as this film and the issue of judicial, um, you know, the problems and the breakdowns and all that, how much of those issues were you aware of before getting involved with the film? And how much of those things became uh, something you're passionate about because you were part of the film and, and as you were involved with putting out Brian Banks? This was something I was not really aware of. When I co-hosted The View, we had Brian Banks on when he was exonerated and his mother. And I had met them then. In my wildest dreams, I didn't think I would be playing his mother. But I was not aware of truly what the Innocence Project did. Until I talked to Justin Brooks, and Greg Kinnear plays Justin Brooks, who is the head of the California Innocence Project, I literally was not aware of the way prisons are designed, that they don't even have a rehabilitation system in order to, you know, meet the prisoners' needs so that they don't go back and commit the same crimes that they did. Mm. And even if you're incarcerated wrongly, how, you know, um, 97% of young men are coerced into taking a plea deal for expediency. And that's not the way the justice system is supposed to work. You're supposed to have a trial And this is all stuff that I learned from Justin. I didn't know that prisons are typically, it's such a, it's it's for a profit now. They build prisons where the land is cheapest, which is mostly farmland. So it's designed that parents and family can't get to the prisoner, and there's a disconnect. And when you're disconnected from your family, you can't really function. And so it's all of these things that are melded into one, and Ultimately, it still affects society. So if you try to push it off and go, well, that's over there, and that doesn't affect me, Mm. it absolutely does affect you. And I was not aware of all of this before I started this movie, but in really having close contact with Justin Brooks, I got to see why he tirelessly fights for people who've been wrongfully incarcerated and why he doesn't take a dime himself, but he puts it back into his organization and why he does what he does, which this, his, his uh, organization is spotlighted, is that a word, in this movie a great deal. 
Interesting. Very interesting stuff. Sherry Shepard, kind enough to spend a little time with us today uh, talking about the new film, Brian Banks. And then, of course, you mentioned The View and you've done many other, uh, you know, uh, works and sitcoms and stand up and written a book and or more than that and uh, many other things. Uh, but in the film, one more, just kind of a quick note for fun. Um, Morgan Freeman is also in this movie, right? For a smaller role, but he's in the movie. Um did you yes. want? Did yes. you? Yeah. So, did you wind up having to cross paths and work with him? I, I know you've done, you know, lots of things and met lots of well-known actors and actresses. And I would just think being around him, correct me if I'm wrong, would be just another level of woe. <laughs> you know, I actually, unfortunately, I didn't. Uh, Morgan Freeman plays a very pivotal character uh, named Jerome Johnson, and this was a man that Brian Banks met when he was incarcerated, when he was 17 years old, when he had given up on life, given up on God. I was angry, and Jerome Johnson changed his mindset about being in prison and really got him to focus on if you let, you have to, you know, your mind has to not be in prison or else it will overtake you. Mm. And so this is who Morgan Freeman plays. I only know Morgan from when he came on The View, so we do know each other, but my scenes were with Greg Kinnear and with Aldous Hodge, who played Brian. So to okay. be up under Greg Kinnear, yeah. <laughs> I know it's funny. I felt that uh, well similar. I, I know uh, uh, you were born in Chicago, right? Uh, I'm a Chicago native. Yeah, and my mom was born there. We have family in, in Northbrook, and um, I, I felt that way oh. when the Minister of Defense in Chicago, the uh, one and only Mike Singletary, he was actually on our program a few weeks ago, and I remember yeah. <laughs> talking to my producer like you know, he's the heart and soul of the Bears defense back in the '80s, and I looked at our producer, I'm like. I like in-studio interviews, but I'm glad he's not here today because I'm scared of him just over the phone, <laughs> even though he was very kind and, like, yeah. the aura of I him. I think it would have been, been hard to act in front of Morgan Freeman. That's like the creme de la creme yeah. of yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. won an Oscar. That's, that's right. Well, so so along those lines, um, tell us a little bit more about about some of the other things you've done, just if we could take a couple minutes, because obviously I think you're also working on some other uh, there was a game show uh, I believe you're either working on or how the best ever trivia show. Is that something we can chat about for a minute? Yes. I, it's still happening. I still have reruns. I've hosted five seasons of the Newlywed Game, and I have a new game show called Best Ever Trivia Show, okay. which comes on every afternoon on the Game Show Network. Okay. It's with Ken Jennings, who's one of the longest-running uh, players on Jeopardy. I also have a comedy right now that is streaming on Netflix, and it's called Mr. Iglesias, and it's with the comedian Fluffy the comic. Okay. So that's, we've just been renewed for a second season. I'm very happy. I'll be filming my first, uh, my second one-hour comedy show, which is airing later this year. And uh, is there anything else? I, I'm working on a book okay. and just have a few more projects that I'm producing. So, wow. And being a mother in between there. That's a ton of stuff. I, I know uh, you, you were on a lot of game shows over the years. I, I had a friend. I DJ weddings, and I had a, a fellow DJ. Yeah. Who was on on the Millionaire Show? Won, actually won a quarter million dollars, and so oh, wow. he wound up retiring from DJing. He's still on the radio, but he's like, "No more lugging speakers around. I'm done that." So uh, well, I hear him. That's you know because <laughs> you want the contestants to win. That's the fun of it. From your experiences, like I guess appearing on, did, did that factor into why you wanted to do the best ever trivia show, or have you just always liked it and, and that was something you wanted to eventually do? Well, I love game shows because I used to watch them when I was a little girl with my grandmother. Mm -hmm. But I love trivia. And so when they came to me, the game show network, about, you know, doing a trivia show, I, I'm horrible at trivia, but I love watching it. And when they said it would be, you know, experts from different trivia shows, that excited me. I am a fan of Ken Jennings, 
because I've watched him on Jeopardy, and being able to really see how he thinks when he gets his answer to a question is quite fascinating. And I love seeing people win money. <laughs> well, I'm, so right. I'm there to help facilitate a contestant winning some money. <laughs> That's good stuff. Sherry Shepard, our guest, you may know her from The, the View. as She was there for, uh, what, seven, eight years and uh, earned a daytime Emmy for Outstanding Talk Show Host. Uh, and also, you've had a lot of individual roles. Um, is it important to you? Uh, a couple of the things, like when you mentioned being a host of the, the newlywed game. Uh, being the first African-American woman to do uh, that. Is that important to you yes. to, to be able to say that? Uh, yeah, I think it is important. I think there's a lot of little uh, brown girls out there who don't see themselves on TV. They're starting to more and more. Yeah. I used to have the, I used to be known, when I remember when I first did Friends, and people would call me, oh, you're the black girl that's on all the white shows. <laughs> and while that was a funny moniker to have, yeah. you don't want that to be true. Right. You really don't. So I think... For a little girl to see me and go, I could be a game show host or I could be a talk show host. Barbara Walters used to have one black girl on a show. She put two black women on a talk show. That was never done before mm. with Whoopi and I. And I, I would like a little girl to look at me and say, I, wow, I can do that too. I look at Beyonce every day and go, that's my goal. Sherry Shepard's our guest, co-host of The View for many years and done a lot of other projects. And right now, co-starring in the movie Brian Banks, which releases nationwide today uh, in theaters. You're listening to The Tim DeMoss Show, AM560, WFIL, WFIL.com. I, I like to put myself in other people's shoes as best as I can. I can't walk in your yeah. shoes, but I try to understand and hopefully uh, encourage listeners to do the same thing whether it's with that topic or uh, the Brian Banks film that you're working on to help people at least be aware. Like you said, just because you don't see the incarcerated maybe as directly. I, actually, I'm a Christian, so the Bible talks about being, visiting people in prison. So that's something I have done, and I encourage people to do, even if it's just writing a letter to somebody to, to st- support someone you don't even know. You don't have to. But um, anyway, and you mentioned being a mom, and I thought um, we have something in common here too. I think you, you have a child with special needs. Is that right? Oh, you still there? I think we may have lost Sherry. <laughs> Phone is ringing. Hello? Hello? Hey there. I'm so sorry. I'm in a hotel room. I don't know what happened. <laughs> That's fine. And I know you have more things you got to get to. Um, maybe, but maybe we could wrap up. You made up. a point. I, yeah. I wanted to speak to you as a Christian. Yeah which is what I love, because I I am myself one as well. And what I love about this movie is where it's triumphant in the end is Brian Banks, he was recruited to play for USC, and more than likely there was a 99% chance this man would have been a pro football player. And that was his calling. That was his purpose. Hmm. And what do you do when your purpose is taken from you? The thing that the gift that you think that God has given you um, how do you find, what's another purpose? What do you do? What is your calling? And Brian Banks, if he walks into the room, I hope that you get to meet him. All you see is this megawatt smile and the joy that he has at life. And the calling that he has now, where he fights for the voiceless, he's a life coach, he's on the board of the California Innocence Project. His calling has overtaken what it would have been if he was a pro football player hmm. because of his testimony. And the purpose that he has has given him extreme joy. And I think in this day and age when people are going through depression, mental depression, 
uh, despondency, fear, anxiety, the things we're faced with now, to see someone like Brian Banks learn how to get their smile back despite having gone to hell and back, it's a story where you're at the end on your feet and you have hope when you leave the theater. Amen. I wanted to say when you had said as a Christian. <laughs> that's and great. That's when we got cut off. That's great. And I know you have to go. I just You have a, a child with special needs. Is that correct? I do. Yeah, and she I do. Has unique challenges. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. She's thirteen, and so uh, maybe we can chat sometime about the the things that God's taught you and how your your is it your son? It's my son, and every day God is teaching me something different about my son with his challenges. Yes, yeah. I would love to talk to you about that. That'd be great. Well, thanks again for taking time, and uh, congratulations on being part of such a film, and and we're looking forward to letting listeners know about it. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks, Sherry. Have a great day. You too. Bye bye. Sherry Shepard, longtime uh, co-host of The View. She's done a lot of other work in film and TV, co-star in this new movie coming out in theaters today, Brian Banks. Brief break. We'll continue our conversation with Gary G. Cobb. There's actually a tie-in with the movie that's uh, kind of neat. We'll be chatting with him, Little Eagles, Little Movie, uh, some of the, the themes we were talking with Sherry about. Also, Michael Card coming up. He's part of the Ocean City Tabernacle WFIL Summer Speaker Series this weekend. All that straight ahead, WFIL. Have a guest you'd like to hear on the Tim DeMoss Show on AM560 WFIL? Email D at WFIL.com. 425 on the Tim DeMoss Show, AM560 WFIL, WFIL.com. Beautiful rest of the afternoon, lots of sunshine. A clear evening awaits with a low of 65. A lot of sun tomorrow and Sunday. 86 the high tomorrow and 85 on Sunday. Phil's lost to San Francisco last night. Only had one hit. Pinch hit by uh, Cesar Hernandez in the sixth inning. They'll try and uh, shake that off and get back on track tonight. 10-15 at San Fran. And last night in football, Eagles losing 27-10 to Tennessee in preseason football. And here to talk about that and some other matters. Longtime uh, Philadelphia Eagle and bro- broadcaster in the Philadelphia market. And longtime friend of our program, Gary G. Cobb. Hey, Gary, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, doing great. How you doing, Tim? Excellent. Uh, you, you serve uh, many roles in life, professionally and personally. Uh, and today on our fine broadcast, actually, you can wear a couple of hats. First, Little Eagles, but also we want to chat about this new movie, Brian Banks, uh, and the theme of it, not so much the movie itself, but um, we just talked with Sherry Shepard, who was from, from The View, and she's a part of this uh, movie, co-stars in it. But first things first. On the lighter side, the Eagles had their first preseason game last night at the link, lost 27-10 to the Titans. And on your website, gcob.com, you mentioned you wanted to have an eye on quarterback Nate Sudfeld. What would you think? Well, I, I thought he passed the test when it came to, uh, you know, being able to execute the offense. Uh, you know, he really uh, does a great job, I thought, of, uh, you know, making decisions, getting rid of the ball, his passes were accurate. Uh, so he passed the test, and I, I think – at some point, a lot of people's going, "Oh boy, we got a backup quarterback." <laughs> uh, that's before that's before he got hurt, though. <laughs> right. But uh, you know, before that, though, he really was passing the test, and uh, I think a lot of people took that exhale uh, because you see, you know, he's been in this offense long enough. He has an arm. He's uh, he's capable of of, of uh, running the offense, and with all the weapons they have, they don't need the quarterback to be great. Just do your job, just execute. Don't try to do more than you got to, and everything will be fine. Because they have, they really, I mean, this is one of the most talented offenses I've seen. Okay? Yeah, and yeah. I've been around the game a long time. This is a talented offense. So they got a lot of weapons. 
And if the quarterback just executes his job, they're going to get a lot done. Rookie running back Miles Sanders didn't get a whole lot of chance to show much. But then again, he's the other guy you mentioned having your eye on. But then again, the Eagles didn't run a whole lot of plays compared to Tennessee. It was like 50 to 87. He only got, I think, three carries last night. Uh, that's right. Well, really, the, the offensive line didn't do a great job run blocking, and they didn't do a lot of running. Uh, it was the kind of thing where, as you said, they didn't have the ball a lot. But this is the kind of thing which I wouldn't get too worked up about it. I, I think that uh, when Sanders gets in there and he's behind that first offensive line, he's shown me that he can do the job, and he is a playmaker, a, another weapon in the offense. So I, I think he'll be a big plus. Uh, when the season gets going. But, you know, you might not see everything in preseason. But, you know, with uh, what you call getting hurt, though, I mean, for him to get hurt that quick, that makes me think about, hey, he's not the kind of guy that can take a hit and that sort of thing when I talk about Sudfeld. Right. So that, that was a big negative, of course. Gary G. Cobb, our guest, uh, you can read all about uh, his perspective on the Eagles throughout the preseason and the regular season, gcobb.com. Just the letter G, C-O-B-B.com. Before your time as a player, you were a player at USC, part of a team. I think you were a Rose Bowl champion a couple of times in a national championship team. Uh, That's right. Right. right? Uh, that, while I was there, yeah, we won a national championship and a couple of Rose Bowls. That must have been pretty cool. Top of the world for, in a way. Well, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, you know, you, uh, you know, I, I went there with the expectation, you know, to, to have a chance to win a national championship because they had, they just attracted so much talent. I mean, especially during those times. Uh, you know, it was USC, you know, we beat um, Alabama a couple times. We had to play them. We had a talented group, I and mean, we would have 10 to 15 guys after off of every team that would go right to the NFL. So that was a talented team. It uh, wasn't a shock we won a championship. Uh, but we had a lot of guys, you know, they didn't come from the best, you know, they didn't come from money. You know, we came guys with more, you know, with some – Tough backgrounds, uh, but uh, we all love to play football, and we had, you know, we're blessed with the ability, and so we had some, you know, opportunity to go there and go to school. Well, and your path there was a, a path that a young man named Brian Banks had hoped to take. He actually, you know, had received a scholarship, I believe, from Pete Carroll, who was uh, there at the time before going on to the Seahawks, and uh, Banks had the scholarship, but then uh, and a great shot, really, at making the NFL. We were just talking with Sherry Shepard longtime co-host of The View, uh, about this new Brian Banks movie that's in theaters today. and um, But he was wrongly accused of a crime he didn't commit, spent five years in jail, and by that time, scholarship was gone. And basically, his shot to play in the NFL had dried up as well. Uh, and a big part of the film is pointing out you know, the need for reform in the judicial system and themes of uh, perseverance and forgiveness, too, which is uh, really the main reason I want to just chat with you today a little bit, because you've shared on the program before about the work you do in prisons in the area I know you emphasize things like personal responsibility and really big picture and trusting your life to the Lord. So everything you can do lines up with him. But I just want to get your take on the topic, not the film necessarily, but the topic of you know the judicial system and what you've seen, not to make excuses or whatever, but just what have you seen firsthand about the system, fairness-wise, laws that vary well, from state know, to state, all that? Well, you know, uh, one situation, first of all, if, if you're growing up in an inner city, okay, okay, the crime rate is high. And you got a lot of kids, unfortunately, getting into trouble. So if you're a youngster walking down the street and you got, you know, your buddies have gotten arrested and there are police, you know, around and there's, you know, this crime, that crime, there's a chance you could get picked up and you had nothing to do with it. That atmosphere where you've got uh, crimes being committed, where you've got 
people getting shot. Just look at the news and see how many times in the inner city neighborhoods you got shootings. You know, I, I understand and I empathize with the people that, you know, with these, these shootings that have gone on, you know, uh, uh, in different parts of the country. I mean, it, it's terrible. And to see people just gunned down and it, it's atrocious. This has been going on in inner cities in America. How, why should kids have to be dealing with that? You know, uh, you know, I would like to see something done about it. But what has got to be done, you know, it, it deals with the uh, whole thing with the, the, the young men. We can't have people breaking the law, you know. And so that has to be taught. And the young men have to be fathered and they have to be disciplined and they've got to be loved. That's a whole society thing. And it's a shame because there have been kids that have gone, you know, like Brian, that have been arrested and didn't do it, you know, and right. then it goes and gives five years out of his life. Who wants to give five years of their life for something they didn't do? He was, gonna, he was dreaming of going to USC and going on to the pros. The kid was a, 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 an outstanding athlete doing everything the right way, and he snatched out and sent to jail for something he didn't do. I mean, that's, that's an atrocity. Well, and, it's, 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 it really just is sickening. Well, you, and again, I know you share, when you speak with these young men and you go into the facilities, you, you, um, you really do emphasize the personal responsibility and, and, and knowing the Lord and, and the bigger picture of how do you even avoid getting in in the first place. But do you have, just on the kind of a side note, do you have – any kind of, I don't know, like a rule when you go speak with these young men about how much or how little you'll allow their story, you know, so they don't view you necessarily as an advocate. Like, let me just tell you what happened. Uh, because, or do you find that you get to know their stories a lot and you and you have a feeling, you know what, you're probably innocent. You shouldn't even be in here in the first place. Do you get to well, that level uh, with them or do you try to avoid that? I mean, there, there, there are there are kids that have, have said things to me, you know, and so I try to put them in touch with somebody that can um, – you know, help them adjudicate, you know, their, their situation because uh, they, they need legal help, you know, uh, right. to be able to, to get in there. But uh, some kids have definitely have said it. And I have, you know, talked to some of the people um, to try to get them some help yeah. uh, because uh, you could understand it. I mean, of course, <laughs> they're just picking up kids and, you, you know, and, and, and also, you know, uh, I mean, how long does it take if you're you could come course to where. You just oh everybody's bad whatever you know you have some you could get get that bad attitude uh, you know all of us can get that attitude at times where you, you get frustrated and and down at things so uh, there there definitely are youngsters that are getting incarcerated that are innocent uh, there's no doubt about it I mean just it, it just happens and because of so many uh, that are that are incarcerated uh, there's definitely uh, some of the kids that are yelling foul that are that are telling the truth. So right. I don't doubt that, and and I know that um, so many times with youngsters just being in the atmosphere where uh, you're already assumed that somebody did something. I know when I was in school, uh, there were a number of times some teachers assume I was going to be a troublemaker because I was black. You know, yeah. uh, they want me to sit up in the front of the class the time we start the class. I'm one, you know, hmm. when they didn't realize. Look, my dad. And put the fear of God in us. We weren't <laughs> going to be any. We're going to be up any trouble. Yeah. But they didn't realize. But they were just looking at my skin color, and right away, you know, I'm guilty. So wow. this does happen. There's no doubt about it. Because uh, people just assume things. So this thing with Brian, it basically what it, that's what it says is, look, uh, despite all of the youngsters, and there are a lot of unfortunately 
crime that happens in African-American neighborhoods and, and youngsters that are guilty, uh, there, are, there are a number that are innocent, and they don't need to be swept away. They need to be looked at their case uh, honestly, and then nobody needs to be you know, framing them. And I, I, I definitely think that it does happen because uh, I, I, you can just tell the attitude at times of people who just assume that yeah. all these kids are guilty, and, right? And, and they're not, right? And Sherry Shepard, when she was on with us during our, our chat earlier, she talked about don't just think it's something that happens over there either. Like, well, okay, whatever, it's not my problem. She's like, it is your problem. This is part of our society we live in. It affects you more than you realize. And and yeah. I, you know, typical person just listening in today, myself included, to just say, well, number one, let me make sure my my heart's right with the Lord. So I, whatever I'm doing is is advancing His kingdom, and that includes a, a worldview. That loves people of all races and um, and doesn't you know push forward a stereotype or, or or whatever perpetuate something that shouldn't be there. And then maybe there are practical things too, like writing a letter to someone in prison or doing the work that you do, going into prisons or or just something that you could actually tangibly also put your hand on. I think I think of Matthew twenty five, where one of the things Jesus said is, you know, I was in prison and you came or you didn't come, and that's part mm-hmm. of the the love He wants us to show. So. Well, most definitely, I, and I tell you, there's so many youngsters uh, that you have uh, that that nobody visits them. People have just kind of given up on them, and that's the thing about you know some of the laws that are in place now, where you have these maximum minimums, where you've got a kid that just had a brush with the law, and right away slam, he slammed with five years, ten years, and it, it throws him off that uh, you know plans he had for his life, and so. Uh, that's where you, you really feel bad that you see youngsters that they're, they're, they're not, they don't have a criminal attitude. They just happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. They made one bad decision and bam, that's five, 10 years out of their life that's gone. That, 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 it just really makes you feel bad about it. That you of know that something's wrong with that system. Gary Cobb been kind enough to carve out a little time to chat with us on the program today. Again, you can find him at gcobb.com, G-C-O-B-B.com for his writing on the Eagles and sports as well at times and other other sports. And, of course, we enjoy having him on the program every now and again because he adds more than just sports, but a perspective uh, of life and being a dad and a grandfather and uh, a child of God. So, you know, you're able to share your faith and it comes through very clearly. So we, we enjoy having you on and your sense of humor is pretty good too. <laughs> so, Well, it's, it's a pleasure. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm looking forward to seeing that the movie. I, I heard that, you know, right away he was a youngster going to USC and playing linebacker. And I said, you know, that was you. The kids got a lot in common. With me. I got to go see that movie. So <laughs> yeah. I'm going to check it out. Good. Good deal. Thanks G. All right. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Gary G. Cobb, gcobb.com is where you can find him. Quick break, we'll come back. Our final guest of the hour, his name is uh, Michael Card. You may have heard of him. Going to be at the Ocean City Tabernacle this coming Sunday as part of WFIL Summer Speaker Series. Hang on for that in just a moment on WFIL. Live and local, it's the Tim DeMoss Show, weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Our podcast continues. 440 on the Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560 WFIL, WFIL.com. This coming weekend, another installment of WFIL Summer Speaker Series in conjunction with the Ocean City Tabernacle. And looking forward very much to this next gentleman coming to town, Michael Card. Hello, Michael. Hey, Tim. How are you doing? Uh, good. I'm good. Thanks for taking a few minutes to chat. Oh, 
hey, thanks for helping me more than I'm helping you. So thank you. <laughs> sure. Well, we're excited because well, this uh, coming Sunday, you're going to be kind of a sweet spot for you at the Ocean City Tabernacle because you get to do both yeah, things been, you love, right? I, I've been going there for yeah a long time, and I'm going to get to teach in the morning and then do a concert at night. That's the dream gig. That's great. That's great. Well, we're yeah. glad, to, glad to have you on because uh, we've been partnering with OCT all summer. A lot of times there's a speaker in the morning and then a musician or band in the evening, or sometimes, as is the case this weekend, one person's doing double duty. Uh, talk about the speaking part for starters, 8.30 and 10.30 this coming Sunday morning. How far along are you in your prep? Are you ready to go? Yeah, when, when, when I teach, it usually is kind of an expression of something I've been working on for years and years. They wanted me to talk about uh, the life of Jesus, in- intimacy with Jesus. Well, that's probably probably about four years ago. I finished a book on the Hebrew word hesed that I'd worked on for about 10 years. Yeah. I told myself when I was done with that book, I'm 62 years old, I figured I was going gonna to spend the rest of my life looking at the details of the life of Jesus and asking what they mean. And uh, and so that's what, that's what uh, Sunday morning is going to be. Um, it's it's a really interesting approach to his life because we all know facts about his life, but we don't often stop and ask what the facts mean. So that's what I'm going to do. It sounds good. You're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560 WFIL, WFIL.com. Michael Card's our guest. He'll be doing the speaking side of things at the Ocean City Tabernacle. It's coming Sunday morning at 8.30 and 10.30 and then shifting gears and doing a music piece in the evening. All of it's free. Seven o'clock start for that. Now I'm thinking you've been. I don't know. I don't know how many albums you've done. Twenty, thirty, something like that. Thirty-seven. <laughs> how in the world do you pick? I mean, you have to also brush up a little bit. I'm guessing there's some songs you've done many times. It's easier for you. But how do you go about picking out what you're going to do? Actually, that's what I was just doing right before I called you. Uh, <laughs> it's really easy to get in a rut. And to get a, a song list that kind of works, you know, in terms of keys and dynamics, and you get used to doing it that way. Uh, but I have a, a sound guy who, he doesn't travel with me all the time anymore, but he, he's the kind of the chief critic. And he's the one who a couple of months ago said, you know what, you need, it's time for you to switch up and play some of the new songs. I've got a new album out on the kindness of God, and I'm actually... I was actually just working on the theme song of that record. It's called I Will Be Kind, which is a pledge. Hmm. And I'll teach that song to the to the crowd on Sunday night. Good deal. Michael Card's our guest on the Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560, WFIL, WFIL.com. Our sister station's AM 990. For many years, it was a Christian music station. Like half the time and the other half, it was Christian hmm. teaching and talk programs. And that's been uh, the last time I talked with you was, was back then. A number of years back, it's now a conservative news talk station, but it's still part of our family and radio stations. And uh, I just remember back in the day, though, playing songs. I'm thinking ones that came to mind. I personally played Love Crucified a Rose, Known by the Scars. Yeah. Uh, Celebrate the Child, I think, was probably my favorite. It was, just, it was fun. And it was uh, you know, it was an yeah. up, up-tempo, pleasant song. Um, right. And right after, I think that's what Faith Must Be was another one. And Jubilee was also... Yeah. Along those lines, do you have any any of those maybe going to be in concert and or do you still enjoy playing oh, sure. on? Yeah, okay, sure. I mean, I'll always always play Jubilee. That's a, that's sort of the standard. That's what Faith Must Be is one I usually play. I, I should play Celebrate the Child, but on the track, Kirk Whalem is playing saxophone, and it's <laughs> that's just hard to replicate. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard to replicate that. And when I play it, when it comes to that point, I wait for the saxophone to come in. It does it. 
Uh, so I tell people he's best listening to just listen to the CD. Yeah, that's great. Well, for those tuning in, we're chatting with Michael Card. Again, he's going to be in concert this coming Sunday at 7, also in the morning, 8.30 and 10.30, speaking at the Ocean City Tabernacle. It's part of WFIL's Summer Speaker Series, and we're excited to have you coming through. Um, if you look back at the path you've been on and how the Lord has taken you through life, because you've done so many different things, yeah. it feels or appears to me, the little that I officially know you, that it's been more about just God establishing what the next thing you're supposed to do is rather than I want to be a recording artist. Let me do an album. Then I tour. Then I do another album. Then I tour and keep the thing going. It's, it's really been yeah. more of just look where God took you over all these years. Yeah. The, the, the driving thing for me is, I, I mean, I've always find that just found the Bible in general and Jesus life in particular, just so interesting. I, you know, um, and what and what invariably happens is I get interested in in some aspect, you know, some word or some aspect, and uh, and what I what I've done is I write songs and I'll talk about it. And, and uh, my job, if you want to call it that, or ministry, if you want to call it that, has just been to try to get people interested in these things. Mm. Uh, and I'm still, I mean, like I said, I'm 62, and uh, this the, the the details of the life of Jesus that I'm looking at now. I'm writing a book about that now. Um, I just, I get so excited, I can hardly talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You tell, tell me what you think of this, but, you know, it's interesting you say it that way, and your life has really been a reflective of that with all of those albums and uh, books you've written and co-authored and songs you've written and everything, and even the diversity within that, uh, like the Star Kindler mm-hmm. CD or the Sleep Sound in Jesus CD. Our, our kids listen to that growing up, you know, back in the 90s, yeah. so... Uh, yeah. I think about all those different things, but isn't it something to think that the God that we serve is somebody who is, um, he's going to set, he already does, but he will satisfy us eternally. It's not like you have a good meal and you're like, well, that was good. And now you're what's next. Like yeah. he, you're studying him your whole life and it's just the beginning. And he's yeah. not going to, you're not going to get to heaven and be like, well, that was interesting. I, I studied for 10 years and 20, 50 years. And now what's next? You know, yeah. to, to imagine there's a being who really, he is that way. Well, I was, uh, I, I was discipled by a man who, who spoke 16 languages. He had a Ph.D. from Harvard, and he wrote commentaries. He wrote these vast, he wrote a two-volume commentary on the book of Hebrews. Just a brilliant, brilliant man. Hmm. And I was holding his hand when he died. I was there with him when he died. And one of the last things he said is, we were talking about the Bible, and uh, he said, I've just barely scratched the surface. I'll never forget that moment because I thought, you know, you've just barely scratched the surface. <laughs> so this is this is something that you never get to the never get to the to the end of. And then someday, of course, we have we all have this hope and this belief that we're going to stand before him. And what is that moment going to be like when you finally realize whether, you know, you hear a trumpet or you know, he wakes you up, you know, from death or what, what, whatever it's going to be like. And what is that moment going to be like when you realize, you know, this has all been true? You know, because I don't know that now. I believe that, and I hope for that, and I trust for that. But when, when faith becomes sight, you know, what is that moment going to be like? I think about that a lot. Michael Card's our guest on the Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560 WFIL, WFIL.com. Quick break. We'll wrap up our time together in just a moment. If you want to win a gift card to Duncan Wawa or Rita's right now, send me a quick text to 610-500-DOVE, 610 610-500- 500 
3683, first and last name, and your preference of card, and we'll draw a winner here during the break. More coming up in just a second on WFIL. It's the Tim DeMoss Show podcast, available at WFIL.com. Thanks for listening. AM560 WFIL, WFIL.com, coming down to the home stretch of our fine broadcast today. Michael Card, our guest, going to be at the Ocean City Tabernacle this weekend. Uh, historic venue, been there like 140 years. This is not your first time there, right? Oh, I played, I played when it opened. I was there when it opened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I knew that was coming. Well, so you know the lay of the land. I'm going to be using that all weekend. Thank yeah, you. I bet. Cue the rim shot from now. But um, well, exactly. one of your good buddies was actually on with us recently, and he was at the OCT recently. I guess three, yeah, Steve Green. Oh yeah, fellow Harley rider. What well, used to be, yeah. Well, yeah. I didn't ride a Harley. I rode. I rode Ducatis. Harley. That was a little too. Um, I don't have the word for it. No, I rode Ducatis. Okay, that was much cooler, much cooler. <laughs> well, he and when I brought that up to him, he's like, "Yes." In my less educated day, like you know, when I was young and foolish, yeah. you know, he was he was having fun with it. But because that's an image, I sometimes like, "Really, the Bible scholar and and this this folksy musician rides a motorcycle?" Yeah, yeah but and yeah, then, I used to call I call Steve Mister Fifty Five because if the ceiling was was fifty five miles an hour, he would be you know. <laughs> The needle would be on fifty five. He was uh, he would never push it. Why and of course, I... when you're on when you're on a Ducati, those are made to you know break speed limits. So <laughs> it's in the fine yeah. print. Yeah. Well, yes. it, it's funny. My mom used to say, just because it says the, it's fifty five doesn't mean you have to go that fast. That's the limit. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, I, I I have a friend that says I look upon the speed speed limit as more of a suggestion yeah. than a hard fast rule. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Of course, so... you know then then uh, you know one of our wonderful uh, 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 police officers will uh, will uh, disagree just may, a may little just bit disagree with you on that yeah yeah <laughs> that's funny well and steve mentioned that uh you guys now have shifted from the motorcycle days to the coffee brewing days is that is that just yeah. him or is that both of you no i taught him uh i taught him how to roast his own coffee beans somebody taught me a little mennonite lady taught me how to do it really and uh yeah so he's he's off into the world of coffee now <laughs> And for you, do you do do you do that a little bit still yourself? Or that's a that's a big thing for me. Yeah, I, I really my, my wife was a big coffee drinker. I never actually liked coffee that much, but she got me into it. And uh, yeah, and and it's actually really easy. It's as easy as popping popcorn, really, roasting coffee beans. In fact, you do it in a popcorn popper. Oh, cool! So I probably need yeah. to learn that because I spent a little too much money. I don't go to Starbucks because that's a little too pricey for me. But the the local Dunkin' Donuts or Wawa's, you know, buck fifty-two dollars yeah. a, a shot. Probably should roast my own. Well, you you start drinking coffee that you you know roasted a few days ago. You get the green you know coffee beans on the internet and you roast it in a popcorn popper. And I'll tell you what, you will never go back. It's a it's a beautiful thing. That's great. All right. Well, yeah. well, good good advice, Michael Card. Uh, getting ready again yeah. to come in this weekend. And uh, just one, just there's many things we could talk about, but just one project also that was done not too long ago. Maybe you could speak to for a second. Uh, the Biblical Imagination series, which mm-hmm. was a four-volume set that you did that, that kind of dove deeper into each of the Gospels, right? And kind of from the writer's right. perspective. Could you share about that? Right. Just one aspect of, of the work that the Lord's had you do. Sure. Well, um, and th- there was an album that went with each one of those as well. And uh, that that was an example of uh, what William Lane, my mentor, taught us. He, he said, you should always engage 
with the scripture at the level of the informed imagination, and he pointed out the fact that the Bible is reaching out. It's, it's not theology. It's not didactic teaching. It's aimed at your imagination, stories and poems and songs and that sort of thing. And so that's what we try to do. We try to teach people how to engage, how to listen to the life of Jesus, Jesus with all their heart and all their mind, which is, uh, that's only possible through the imagination. That's a great point. It's a cool I think, idea. Yeah, you know what? I, that's actually a great point. I never thought of it that way. I think it might be easier for uh, a believer to want to treat Scripture, you know, accurately, which is important, but teach it, treat it yes. more as a as a teaching thing and information rather than, like you said, it's true. There's lots of poetry. There's lots of imagery. There's lots of referring yeah. back and forth between the Old and New Testament and. And there are people who read the Bible with their heart, devotionally, and that's a good thing. And then there are people who read the Bible with their mind, and that's a good thing. God gave you a brain, and you, you know, you'll never get to the, to the bottom of it. Jesus' favorite verse, here's, some, here's a detail from the life of Jesus. What's his favorite verse? His favorite verse is, is the, it's called the Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4. We should love the Lord uh, our God. It begins with Shema, listen, Israel. Uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you, you love him with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's what this our whole approach is about. You you love God by listening to Him. The best way to love someone is to listen to them. It's a good thing that we put the podcast of each of our programs up because I think if I listen back through this, I'm gonna keep I'm gonna take some more notes because I think I've learned a lot mm-hmm. already in the short, short conversation together. It's been great. You know, <laughs> well, by the way, you simple. you met well, and you mentioned your mentor. Um, if I'm not mistaken, isn't it when you were first kind of even getting in toward doing music? Wasn't it he who had asked you to kind of write some music for his sermons? I, I remember reading that, and there was another musician who wanted you to record so he could produce your record so he could get a producing yeah. job. And it turned into, yeah, we'll, we'll hire you as a producer if Michael Card can be your first guy to work with. Like the, right. You got in the that's, door kind of a back backdraft way. Right. It, it wasn't about me at all. Bill, Dr. Lane, Bill Lane, would give me his, gave me a sermon, and he said, you play the guitar, don't you? I said, yes, sir, but, you know, in college, the guitar is to attract girls with it. I had <laughs> no spiritual, you know, aspirations whatsoever. I was in biblical studies. I wanted, to, I was getting a degree so I could be a Bible teacher, and that's why I was studying with him. But he said, here's my sermon for next Sunday, write us a chorus. And uh, I'd love to say that I was spiritual and I heard God speak to me, but I just did it to please Bill, you know, <laughs> which, which, you know, which from that I've learned, you know, all we have is mixed motives. All Billy Graham had was mixed motives. And God uses that because that's all he's got to work with. So, yeah, yeah that's how I started writing music, try, try, try to please one of my professors who I revered. And then the, and that story, I think it was uh, Scru- Randy, was it Randy Scruggs? Right, was Randy the, Scruggs, right. And he wanted you to do, just do an album so he could produce it, so he'd have a resume to work with, kind of a... Right, yeah. they, needed, they needed a guinea pig, and they knew <laughs> I'd written these songs, and yeah, I said, sure, you know, I'll do that before I go back to school, which was always the plan. That's and I, funny. That was... 40 years ago, so I never got to do that. And then God, you, God used that to bring you further into the music realm, and it's amazing yeah. to see God's God's uh, handiwork years years later and all that. So that's great. Yeah. Well, it's great to talk to you and uh, connect with you again. It's been a number of years, and to uh, just take a little bit thanks, of a journey. Yeah. And uh, thanks for doing what you do and for loving the Lord and loving, you know, pointing other people to Him. You're not going to regret it, right? It's Well, I'm here because He loves me. My love for him is, is fragmented at best, but I'll tell you, he has never given up on me, and I have given him every reason <laughs> to give up. But uh, he, he just he loves us so magnificently. It's a wonderful thing. It, Amen. You know. Keep up the good work. Keep walking with him. And Thanks. Welcome to town a couple days in advance. I'm looking forward to coming back. 
Yeah, that'll be great. This Sunday night, folks just tuning in, Michael Card been our guest. You can get the podcast after the show at WFIL.com. Thanks again, Michael. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks. You too. <laughs> All right, bye-bye. Just enough time, Joe. What a big show to shoehorn in the pun segment. Did you hear about the monkeys who shared an Amazon account? They were primates. I just splurged, Joe. And I bought a universal remote control. My first thought? This changes everything. (laughs) Before I married my wife, I actually had a crush on a philosophy professor. Kind of wanted to date her, but I'm not even sure she knew I existed. (laughs) Why'd the bee get married, Joe? Because he found his honey. Tim Max, the Max 413 Ministries leads in prayer next. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com.